Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is a very special one. His name is Tiago Bonini, the founder and CEO at Vidya. Tiago, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mike. I'm super honored. Um, I know you, you've been uh, having more and more Brazilians here. I'm one of the, the first ones, so I'm, I'm super happy to, to here represent my country. And, and, and to be on the other side since uh, I'm generally a listener to this podcast. Awesome. It's, it's really a pleasure to host you here as well. Uh, great conversations that we had to also prepare this conversation to make all your journey available for other fellow entrepreneurs uh, in the community. And, and definitely, it's a great pleasure to have Brazil uh, and Latam as a region uh, more represented in, in the podcast podcasts uh, super super happy for that so let's get to know more uh, about Tiago and uh, what what has been after Tiago the story behind uh, video sounds good well I'm gonna start by saying uh, something from my childhood I, I'm a grandson of a doctor and at first all I really wanted was to become a doctor myself I think gladly because I enjoy uh, more the business sides of things I ended up not becoming one um, but this has to some extent shaped what I currently am, which is uh, an entrepreneur with a, a running a, a health deck. So I'm still in the health space. Um, but anyhow, um, I think a lot of the times um, to tell my story, um, I think a lot of the entrepreneurs will say that entrepreneurship is about making a massive decision at a certain point in, in your life and then pursuing full blown. And the stories are very different, right? And, and in my particular case, I think like starting something was a sequence of different paths that I took every time there was a major crossroad in my life rather than this sort of um, moment where you, you, you make uh, a big decision at once. Um, so I was at first, uh, from a professional perspective, a corporate lawyer. Uh, I did that for, for almost 10 years as a lawyer. And, and there was one point in which I had worked at the very best law firm in Brazil for, for many, many years. I, I had sort of a path towards maybe becoming a partner there. Everything was, was kind of comfortable. Uh, there was a lot of social approval in, in what I was doing, either for my family or friends and everything. And, and then an opportunity came up, an opportunity which was super uncertain. It was a company that had just started operations in Brazil, and they invested in something which at the time they called internet. They said, oh, we invest in internet companies. Uh, they didn't even speak tech at the time. Um, that was the first time that I sort of took a decision in a crossroad. Sorry, you're going to ask something? No. No, no, no. I, I was, I was just saying, uh, right, and 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 saying that it's very interesting your uh, lawyer uh, background and and the story uh, behind behind tech. Yeah, that's right, and, and that was the first one. Um, so I, I joined Naspers at the time, in which I I spent uh, five years. So it was also a sort of a long stint, um, lots of learnings. Um, but at a certain point, I just thought that was, I'm going to exaggerate somewhat, but a sort of a, a well-paid bureaucrat in some sense, because I didn't really, I was more of an agent rather than a principal, wasn't really running any show. 
Um, everything was prestigious, uh, good compensations. All my friends would say, oh, you have the perfect job and everything. And, and I thought, oh, maybe this is too comfortable for me. There was an also uh, a crossroad at that point in which I, I started to pursue something which, which I think made me uh, become an entrepreneur myself. So for one year, I was a full-time student at the Stanford GSP. It was super exciting and fun and lots of learnings as well. And when I was back, I joined um, the VC world, which is also very fun. Um, you get to, to meet basically every day people with lots of energy, big ideas to change the world. You learn a lot about different markets you never heard about. So you can't really complain about a, a VC life in, in some senses, but it, it, was, it was at the same time kind of tough in a way that I felt like I was sort of fooling myself and fooling others in some sense, because I was giving advice to people about things that I had never done in my life, which is like running a company. Um, and at that very same year, I was also uh, very privileged to have my first son born. And there was a major event that, that shaped a lot of the way that I changed today. My first son spent 40 days in a UCI unit when he was first born. And that made me think about how precious and sort of fragile life is, that it can change uh, from one moment to the other. And even as a father, I mean, it wasn't, my life was not directly at stake at that point. I had a son who was very young and fragile in some sense, but it made me think about my life, you know, maybe I should do something which is more connected to what I truly believe. And, and that's how I, I started to, to pursue and sort of investigate different business ideas. I went to spend one month in a startup, which was VC backed by people that I, that I knew. That tenure ended up being one year, which was super helpful for me to understand how to run a business from the inside. And while I was there at this uh, legal tech company, I started to investigate different businesses. And what um, made me really lean towards health, maybe was sort of my, myself uh, going back to my, my grandfather, who was my role model in some sense. Um, but also because I felt there was something from a rational perspective that didn't make sense because the cost of health, um, of private health in Brazil was growing by three times inflation. And when you look at anything that grows by three times inflation, it's, it's a market that, that is towards a, a crash. I mean, something is probably going to happen, a, a tectonic shift or something. I didn't really know what it is. Perhaps no one still really knows exactly what is going to happen. Um, but there are now many things happening. And one of them is, is our company, which is Vidya. Um, Vidya provides surgeries for people that are uninsured. People who have been diagnosed either by the public health system, which in Brazil is called SUS, or through a low-income clinic. They, they've been able to afford private exams and consultation, consultations. But when it comes to, to a surgery, they don't really have, or they didn't before Vidya have an option which was uh, fixed price with lots of financing or payment options. And this is what we, we provide uh, for the population, high quality fixed priced, uh, different financing options for anyone that needs a surgery and does not have a health plan. Love it, uh, amazing purpose uh, behind what you are doing today. Uh, also, and the importance of 
something happens in our life that makes us think or that makes us get obsessed about uh, solving a problem. And uh, I told you already, but I, I believe that even the, the website of Vidya is, is quite uh, clear about what is developer position and uh, all the payment options that you can have uh, in terms of getting access to that developer position and uh, having that developer position so clear. It's, it seems easy, but it's uh, only the ones who are uh, in the trenches know how difficult it is to, uh, to get there. So any, any other stuff that you'd like to share about, you know, the problem that you are solving, the solution itself, the business model, and any other insights uh, on, on what Vidya is doing for, for the customer? Of course, yeah. So I think there is, there is a very important aspect to, to what we are doing, which is, which is sort of about the, the incentives and sort of the dynamics of health here in Brazil. So basically, in most cases, um, there is the payer, which is generally the, the health plan, um, the health provider, which is a hospital or a clinic or individual doctors, etc. Um, and a lot of the times, the, the health providers are paid as in a fee-for-service arrangement. And, and that makes things kind of tricky, because if you are a health provider, uh, if you want to, to sort of optimize your, your income, your, your revenues, and not if you have the incentives to do that for, for one reason or another, chances are you're probably going to be, to, to be over-serving your patients. Because the more you serve, the more revenue you get. So that's one of the things that led to, to this um, sort of three times inflation increase of, of mm -hmm. health here in Brazil. So what we do at Vidya is we identified that there is a massive market of 160, 170 million that don't have access to health plans. And the paradox is that there is a massive idleness within um, operating rooms in hospitals. So private hospitals operating rooms are idle 60% of the time. So idleness is massive. They want to be able to serve these customers, but they have a hard time doing that. So one of the reasons is because if they were to sort of advertise, oh, I sell um, all-inclusive uh, gallbladder stone surgery for whatever, $2,000, um, the health plans will knock on their door and say, oh, come on, you've been um, providing me services on a fee-for-service arrangement, which makes my cost much larger than that. And, and if I were to, to sort of pay uh, as much as you're advertising, my co cost will probably decrease. So it's a way for them to, to serve. It's good for the hospitals to, to create a new revenue stream. It's good for the patients. They're able to, to be served. And it's good for the system as a whole, given that the SUS public system is less crowded once you're able to, to provide these alternative solutions. This is one of the difficult parts of really building a, um, an health tech company, right? So aligning the incentives of all the stakeholders uh, in the process. Uh, you were the one who was talking about uh, a famous sentence from Charlie Munger to, to describe that kind of, and I've been researching what you said, kind of, if you have a, a dumb incentive system, you get uh, dumb outcomes or show me the incentives and I will show you the, the, the outcome. So uh, 
what what are your thoughts uh, on that before we go into into the more into the playbook uh, how we go from stage to stage um, in terms of the the VC game let's say of course of course yeah I think this is a very good question I'm I'm a huge fan of Charlie Munger's uh, quote uh, show me the incentives I'll now show you the outcomes and uh, as you mentioned and and that applies I guess to everything in life right uh, whatever you you create incentives towards a direction, things will go on that direction unless there is a sort of a counter force um, somewhat uh, changing that dynamic, right? And, and, and the way digital or health in Brazil has been delivered, it's basically a, a combination of wrong incentives and of course, players that have been favored uh, towards that. Uh, the excess of regulation, in some sense, is meant to protect consumers or, or patients when you think of the, the, the private health. Um, how does private health take place in Brazil? There is a list of procedures which must be mandatorily covered by health insurance plans. Uh, there was now a, a very sort of um, long-discussed um, the court decision about whether this list would be only suggestive or will be a obligatory list and anything that is in addition to that would not be covered, which was the later was, was how the court decision took place. But fact is, it's still a very long list, which is very good for the patients in some sense. But if you think of a system in which you want to be able to serve more and more people, maybe less regulation would allow at least to have different models of health delivery on, on, a, on a private system. And what, and what makes a good system is different agents working in a rational way so that they're able to provide services to a broad range of people in whatever sector you're talking about. And once you're able to, to do that, you have a system that works for everyone or, for, or at least for most people. And what happens in Brazil is that on one side, you have 45 to 50 million people that have access to health plans, which are generally very well served. And I say generally because there, there are certainly exceptions. And then you have 160, 170 millions in a, in a public system, which is very, very good. It's very well designed, but it certainly does not have the resources because it's fully funded by taxpayers' money in order to provide health for this massive amount of people. As a matter of fact, Brazil is the only country that is bold enough in some sense to try to make a universal health system for more than 100 million people. I think it's very bold. I think it's very, um, from a sort of um, health, for population health perspective, um, very desirable, but fact is, is that it is overcrowded. And the only way, to my mind, to change that is changing the incentives or changing the way things are. I guess there are many, many people doing good things for that. Um, there are health plans which are more focused on primary care, reducing the cost of hospitalizations, which account for 80, 90% of the health plan costs. This is, this is very good. There, there are companies uh, tackling um, the people that have chronic diseases, for instance, this is also very good for the system. There are tech companies introducing a tech layer 
in incumbent health insurance, this is also very good. So we feel as Vidya, as part of this sort of trend, which is trying to, to change the dynamics of the system. The way we do it is by creating a new revenue stream for, for the hospital in which they don't have a, a negative uh, sort of incense, incentive as towards whoever is paying. And of course, putting this idleness to, to work for a larger population. Super interesting again, super clear. Uh, congrats uh, on, on that. And um, what is the stage where Vidya is in terms of you know, funding rounds, ad count, even maturity of, uh, of the venture? Because we know that sometimes the, the rounds uh, don't, uh, are not similar to kind of the, the funding round, let's say. It's, it's more the stage than the, the round that you have raised, right? Yeah, that, that's a good question, especially in a world where, where these lines are, are super blurred in terms of seed, pre-seed, series A, and things like that. Uh, we are a seed stage company. We had uh, the opportunity to raise around at a PowerPoint just when the pandemic was starting to, to reach Brazil back in the beginning of 2020. Um, and at that point, we basically had an idea of doing that. It made a lot of sense. We had spoken with hospitals we had spoken with a lot of people that could potentially be customers, but fact is, we didn't really know whether hospitals were, would sign with us at the time. We didn't really know whether we would be able to bring financing into the process. We didn't really know what, whether people would trust us with their health in, a, in something that is as, as important as a surgery for, for any given person, right? So all of those uh, question marks have been solved or, or, or have been, we have had a, a positive answer. So we now have uh, five to six, uh, five to 10 partner hospitals and clinics. We are in Sao Paulo and Rio. We have made uh, some 300 surgeries. Uh, we launched back a year and a half ago. Um, that was beginning of 2021. Uh, and now we are at the stage of, of really, uh, our, our, our challenge is to really um, see how we can grow from, from these 300 surgeries to 300 surgeries a month, uh, which is really a matter of finding what the right channel is, um, how to, to make this more scalable, how to make people aware that, uh, that our product exists. Um, and for that purpose, we have actually, um, um, we are finishing raising around, which is not uh, public yet. We, we are sure to to, to make this public whenever um, we, we can, but um, it's, it, it's meant to, to, to tackle this challenge. Awesome, super curious to, to know more and you are more than invited to, to come to a second round uh, to discuss, discuss that uh, more in detail and also to share the, the progress um, executing video. And, and serving the, the ones who are uh, not being able to, to be served by uh, health insurance uh, and who are able to partner directly with, with hospital and uh, getting help to get funded to have those uh, surgeries. Uh, again, super, super uh, clear. And uh, of course, you have been in investor sites and, um, and we all have a lot of playbooks, but then the reality is, is different for any single company. Of course, those playbooks are good because those are the benchmark. And in principle, if you do what, what is in the playbook, uh, you might be 
in, in a good shape to raise the next round or to get into the next stage. So the playbooks are good. But what happens is that reality is never the, the playbook uh, exactly. So we need to adapt and, uh, and learn uh, to be able to solve the issues that arise on that specific uh, reality. So what, what has been some of the challenges that we have faced through the pre-seed stage into the seed stage, and even you, you can anticipate for the Series A stage? So what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I have, I have been a, a massive fan of Mark Andreessen's concept of nothing else matters other than PMF at the pre-Series A stage. Mm -hmm. um, I have said that many times. I have told entrepreneurs that. I tell that in whatever <laughs> mentorships I, I, I do and things like that to, to entrepreneurs that are starting their journey. But fact is, it's very different whenever you're outside a company. I, I think when I started to, when I was, as I'm doing, um, developing my startup ourselves, um, the fact is, it's much harder than, than in theory, right? So what happens is you've kind of, you, you miss not serving a misfit client, maybe like you have a hard time sort of, um, telling a client to, I'm not going to serve you. It's super hard. I mean, in health, it's even harder. Um, it's hard to say no to a potential partnerships. As Vidya, we are approached by hospitals in different parts of Brazil. As I mentioned, we are now in Sao Paulo and Rio. So it's super hard whenever we have to say, oh, we are not really focusing on that particular region. We are not really focusing on that particular sort of uh, surgery. All of these things are are easy in theory but once you need to to say it, it's super hard i think another thing which which also creates a lack of focus is is really sort of holding on to a team which is not necessarily what you need at this point and at any given startup i'm not speaking necessarily about video but something that i have seen many many times you just you stick to a team you like the people They've been in the trenches with you some, sometimes in the very beginning, in tough times. So it's super hard for, for a founder or for a group of co-founders to say, oh, this is not fit anymore for us. Uh, these are just a few examples, but I mean, depending on the sector where you are, I, I guess in, in SaaS, for instance, it's super hard to not to serve different profiles of customers. One of them will have a, a super low monthly revenue recurring revenue another one will have like 10x i've seen cases of sometimes 100x and then all of a sudden you're serving both of them and you don't really know what your true identity as a company is so right. I, I think this is the biggest thing and i think the biggest challenge challenge for for any given entrepreneur at this stage and to my mind what changed ever since i i i, I switched sides of the table is is really realizing how hard it is in real life rather than than just uh saying it uh, from a sort of board uh, perspective i think mm -hmm. it's much easier got it and in terms of ad count where are you at uh, at this stage yeah we are 18 people um 18. Got yeah it. we're we have i would say we have been 18 people for the past um almost two years now, year and a half now. And, mm -hmm. and to my mind, this is a number which is 
sort of at the peak of what you what Got you it. have at seed stage. I think if one of the problems with a with a sort of a bull market in, in which we were living for for many many years is, yeah. is sort of really getting used to a reality which doesn't make sense at the stage where you are. Got it. Super super interesting. And um, and in terms of do you have co-founders? Uh, are you a solo founder? Uh, you you were mentioned that, and I, I remember to to ask you uh, what has been the story behind the founding team if you are alone on that uh, not alone of course you have a team of 18 people but the solo founder or or with the co-founders yeah so we are the two of us eduardo and i edu is more of a tech guy um, we we met each right. other i mean we had ha, we had have people in common for many many years um, my wife already knew eduardo they had worked together uh, in a vcb backed company uh, so when i was sort of investigating things in health, he was also interested in that, in this particular space. Awesome. So everything made sense. Uh, we were also very um, lucky and, and, and happy in some sense to find right people at the very beginning. So for instance, our product manager, manager has been with us um, since our second month of operation. Uh, also, we have had a tech lead who was no longer with us, but it was super important to, to build the initial product, was someone from basically Edu's network. It's just one of those things that have, helps a lot in the, in the very beginning. Uh, we have a good mix of people who are from the health world, people who are hardcore sellers that don't necessarily come from health and sort of bring a different perspective. Uh, tech people, we are super diverse uh, with a big mixture of health, tech, and sort of more growth slash selling um, profiles. Do you still remember? So, what were what were those first key positions that you hire, and if there is any lessons for any founders that are now raising a pre-seed round or are also uh, at at the stage that you were at the time and are thinking? So, what should be the first position that I should hire for during the pre-seed stage? What what should I be build the business plan for? Uh, what is critical in order to achieve the milestones I need to prove in order to, to raise the, ne the next round or the seed round. And what has been your story in, in a nutshell? <laughs> no, I, I, I love the question because I think it's very useful for, for anyone who's starting their journey to, to listen to this. Of course, like our experience at Vidya is not necessarily a roadmap, but I'll tell you two things. One thing that I really sort of recommend and one thing that I may we should have done somewhat differently to my mind so I definitely recommend being product centric from the outset as I mentioned our product manager manager started in the company in our very uh, second month and that makes a huge difference in particular in our case we were sort of building the product from scratch and we introduced a, a sort of the correct product mindset from the outset, which is really focusing on the customer, um, doing the proper discovery and things like that. Um, so a lot of the times companies will start to build a product based on, on a vision of right. founders, which is very, of course, useful and, and valuable in some sense. Um, but you ought to have the vision and then I think endure 
a process which is more like lean startup <laughs> slash yeah. inspired slash other books. I mean, these are two good sources in my mind. Uh, I really like inspired, uh, for instance, as a book from a product management perspective, and then sort of start to, to build a product. One thing that I, I think we would have done somewhat differently, it was like our initial product was built over a period of some seven to eight months. I think it would have built a more MVP uh, kind of thing. Oh, I think we did a lot of things right. But when it came to, to build the first product, we just assumed we needed to go one step ahead um, and, and try to, to sort of deliver things which, which were not necessarily validated. And it might be related with uh, that fear. Again, it's an health tech company, so we need to create some reputation. The product needs to be good enough to ensure that we are serving well. Our, our patients uh, and also, uh, of course, the, the hospitals as our partners. So I think that those fears also come uh, in, into, into play, right? Absolutely. I think you're absolutely right, Mike. You're spot on. Awesome. And, um, and in terms of, of the split, any other? So you would say that product manager is critical uh, at that stage and also to go through a process and, of course, having a good... Uh, a good balance between what is the intuition of the founders and what are we listening from the customer itself and having an, a party that is neutral uh, in that process, which is the product manager, which is kind of marrying the, the founder's vision that sometimes the customers can tell uh, what they need uh, because they can see it. They never see that, never seen that solution in the market. But at the same time, we, we, we can't just go with the vision without validating if the customer is really interested on that or, or reducing a little bit the risk or even improving the initial uh, mock-up or uh, vision or draft that the founders have uh, in mind. Is there any other uh, position that you think was critical in the beginning for, for other founders that are starting their ventures now? Yeah, I think the product side, that's, that's what I would believe and then you build your technology team out of that sort of the actual need rather than oh let's build a full-blown uh, sort of tech team i think you start yeah. with product and then you go for for a tech team uh, that's what i what we would do uh, if if we were to start over we we fairly did that but i think not not as cs um focused then as, as we should and I think um, maybe an, another thing is really sort of being a, a sort of sales organization from the outset. I think there are many things which relate to product market fit, which are sort of related to the discovery sales, sales and marketing, yeah. but, but sales for sure. Um, so I would, I would definitely, if we were to go back, uh, do lots of discoveries on the, the sales part in parallel to the product construction. I think it, 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 it fits super well. Great point. And that's, that's what you said uh, earlier on our conversation. Uh, you need to focus before Series A on, on product market fits. And it's all about the search exercise and what you were saying. We need to discover more on the product side and on the marketing and sales side. And definitely in order to get to that Series A, you need to get uh, a revenue machine uh, that is possible to be repeatable, profitable, and scalable. 
Uh, and until then, you need to be able to, to search and have all the pieces clicking. And of course, uh, product, marketing, uh, sales, CS, I would say, uh, are critical pieces to create that uh, revenue machine. Right? Um, so uh, super, super interesting uh, point. So let's, let's go for a more macro uh, kind of topic. Uh, as you said, we are covering more and more the Brazilian ecosystem. I think it's interesting to do a reflection for the ones who are listening uh, from Brazil in, in the show and, and from the LATAM region, but also for the ones who are uh, listening for from the US, uh, Europe or, or Asia or any other parts of the world. So what are your views, your, your views, your takeaways on where um, the Brazilian ecosystem is uh, and uh, what has been the progress, the challenges? So what are your thoughts on the Brazilian ecosystem, you know, to, to be brief? Yeah, I think there, there are very good reasons to celebrate what we, the, how the system has evolved. Um, I started uh, with NASPERS back in 2010. So 12 years ago, it was completely different. Uh, we didn't have an ecosystem, basically. We had a Swiss cheese kind of thing, lots of uh, holes. Um, we did not have um, exits. We did not have uh, good schools. We did not have... Uh, I mean, we had a very uh, small amount of well-qualified people going for the entrepreneurial path. We didn't have institutional investors in the different stages of the, that the system needed in order to, to become, um, to, to do the, the following rounds. I mean, you can't really do a series A um, and, and not expect to, to be able to, to need uh, cash in uh, 18 to, to 24 months. Uh, so there are different holes right uh, one of them was also community like things like google for startups uh, itaú scubo all of these things ex even accelerators mm -hmm. were, were really just right. starting at that point so we evolved a lot i mean i think we now check all those boxes uh, gladly mm -hmm. there are so uh, there are many sort of different events that help that and fact is we we can't really complain uh, one thing that um, I believe a lot, and, and we have discussed before, and, and I really wanted to mention because I feel it, it would be useful for, for people to, to understand. Um, I'm, I'm part of a group of people that won't be sitting just waiting for the government to, to make their lives better, right? I mean, and, and it's something that in, in our country, in Brazil, it, it, it has been somewhat of a, of a stance of a lot of people. Oh, they believe the government will, will provide them with a better life. So you need to vote for better people and decades go by and, and nothing changes. So I think entrepreneurship is an excellent way to create uh, part of these social changes. Um, the most obvious things are jobs, uh, innovation, competitiveness. I think it also qualifies people um, very quickly. I see a lot of people that are coming out of university or not even going to university and having the opportunity to work in, in a startup. And over a period of sometimes three to five years, the person has the opportunity to learn uh, customer experience, to learn sales, uh, to learn product management. Sometimes if the person uh, can go, wants to go on the technical side, learn data and, and, and tech skills. Um, I think by itself, this is very, very powerful. And 
if we didn't have that in Brazil, the ecosystem that we currently do, I'm sure the, the country would not be, be as good in terms of, of development as it is today. We, we would certainly be in a, in a worse position in many, many senses. Uh, not that long ago, it would be super hard to imagine a tech company within the largest com companies um, in, in, in the region. And as we all know, Mercado Livre is, is, it has already been the largest uh, company in the region. Uh, I think mm -hmm. it's, it's not at this very moment, just because of the volatility of the market. But still, it's, it's, it's a top 10 or, or top uh, companies in the region. So it's a very good reason to, to celebrate in many, many senses. And one of the things that I believe, Mike, I really wanted to, to, to tell because I, I, I just I want to incentive, incentivize more people to have this sort of mindset because I think it helps the country in general, is the power of value creation and value sharing within startups. So in the old industries, you sort of, as an entrepreneur or as a company owner, you sort of buy someone's time. So you pay the least you can do in order to get the largest amount of work from that person. And at the end of the month, you're going to pay a salary. And if the person goes well, it makes a person or a group of people rich, right? This is how it happens in most of cases in the old industries. And, and I think I have, I mean, from a sort of political perspective, it's not necessarily that I have anything against that, but it's just over time, it doesn't create value for society as a whole. And it just yeah. bothers me in, in some sense. So I think that in a, the startup is, is potentially and usually much more balanced in terms of mm -hmm. how value is, is shared. And one of the things, which one of the most obvious things, which is more and more popular here in Brazil is really stock option plans, right? Mm -hmm. And I come from a family which has been impacted by that. Uh, my father was... He was a HR manager within an engineering company. So he had, he was working class. He had a, a good uh, position, but it wasn't like he was a, a C-level or, or whatever. And as part of that, he was able to, because the company believed in sort of value sharing, he sort of had a species of stock offering. It wasn't exactly a, a sort of Silicon Valley one with a cliff and right. investing <laughs> and things like that. It was, was somewhat different. Um, but he was able to, to provide, uh, to pay for my university, for instance, and maybe to provide for our families um, other than his salary based on that. I was myself also uh, happy to, to be in a company that did that and had a very strong position on, on value sharing, which was Naspers. At the time, Naspers stock was really... Uh, value that whatever was Tencent stock, more and more Nespers uh, is creating lots of businesses outside of Tencent. At the time, you already had, but at the time, Tencent was still a, a very large part of uh, what, the, what the value of Nespers would be. So I was also mm -hmm. benefited from, from that. Uh, that was actually one of the reasons I was able to pursue a master's abroad and, and, and really leave the company and say, um, I have the freedom to choose whatever I'm going to do next because I don't need to repay my employer who is sponsoring a, a master's degree at a, an, an a fantastic university. So, so that gave me a lot of freedom. And, and to my mind, well, two-thirds of the people at Vidya have uh, stock option now. 
Um, and okay. hopefully they will be the next generation of entrepreneurs or that money will create them more freedom to do whatever they want to do, they, to pursue their passion, to provide them with a better life. And, and this is something that uh, more and more I want to write about. I want to uh, sort of incentivize other entrepreneurs to do the same. And hopefully it, over a period of uh, five to 10 years, we'll be in an even better shape in that sense. Love it. It's, it's really uh, using entrepreneurship as an engine to solve uh, the problems of society and the most important problems of, of society. And of course, um, rewarding the ones who help to solve uh, those problems, uh, giving them the freedom and the option to... Sometimes I think it's, it's even interesting that if you give those entrepreneurs the tools And if they succeed in their first venture, they can go into a second venture to solving even more meaningful problems because they don't care about the money anymore. It's it's really about the purpose uh, of the venture. That's why we we see that very rich entrepreneurs who are able even to work just nonprofit because they they don't care anymore about the money involved. They are so rich, so abundant that they really care about solving something that can really improve lives. So. Super, super inspiring to see entrepreneurship as that um, vehicle. So we came into the segment of the show that I ask you a quick question and you give me uh, a quick answer. And uh, are you ready to to go with, with Absolutely, that Absolutely, yeah. Let's do it, yeah. <laughs> so if you would have the, the chance of having a coffee with Tiago at the beginning of video, uh, what advice would you offer to your younger self? Spend more time investigating your passion. And once you find it, don't wait to pursue it. Awesome. Uh, what are you the most proud uh, on your journey uh, so far? I think it's something I spoken in the beginning, like in the crossroads, having taken the yep. non-obvious paths, which were more related to just the way I am and not perhaps someone else. Love it. Worst advice ever received? This is bad. <laughs> the, the world will believe, oh, you believe in a world that doesn't exist. Don't bother spending time creating it. Someone once told me that, and I think it was the worst advice, but in some sense was super good because it just made me more energetic to, to, to go for that path. That, that's a good way of uh you know changing side of this of this question and making it a very positive one well done so and now resources favorite book i'm, I'm gonna um i'm gonna say one on the professional side and one on the personal side yeah, the professional absolutely. side is jim collis's um good to great i think it's a yeah. very good mix of strategy culture and, and leadership uh, very well condensed well written fully based on data and um the the one i am not sure whether there is a, an english version to it it's called in portuguese seja monge or be a monk yeah um it's by a brazilian monk called satyanata it, yeah. it's been the book that influenced me the most uh, from a personal perspective 
Love it. And uh, that's one of the books that my wife uh, has, has read. So I need to pick that one and, and read it myself. Uh, and I have the advantage of being able to read it in Portuguese. So awesome. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure there is a, yeah. an English version on, on that one. So favorite movie or series? I'm, I'm going to go on the series path. Uh, it's yeah. a PBS documentary series slash interview. It's Joseph Campbell's The Power of Myth. There's also a book, which is also very yeah. famous. It tells the story of the hero's journey, which I think it connects very, very well with anyone's life and, and certainly with the entrepreneur's life. I'm curious to... I, I love the resources part. I'm I'm creating a, a, a huge resource list of things that I need to read and listen. I'm, I'm taking care of, of them. But uh, yeah, super, super interesting. Favorite podcast, excluding this one? Uh, if you don't mind, I'll go for, for two. Also one in Portuguese and one yeah. in English. I, Absolutely. Since I enjoy a lot of development, um, a lot of sort of personal slash professional development matters, I'm going to go for Jerry Colonna's The Reboot podcast. Yeah. I think it's very good. Um, and then the Portuguese one, Paulo Silveira and Rodrigo Dantas, Like a Boss. Uh, these are yeah. two of the ones that I listen to the most. Love it. So we are aligned on, on those uh, two. Of course, Like a Boss is, is a recent one uh, for me, but uh, really, really enjoying to, to listen more and more and more uh, of, of that one really good uh, very well done job so uh tiago it was really a pleasure to host you thank you so much for making the time and of course you are always more than welcome to to come to the show and we wish you all the best in in the meantime thank you so much mike i'm, I'm a huge fan of the podcast i'm a huge fan of what you're building uh on a professional side so uh Keep it up and, and you're also beating a better world in, in those two instances. Thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate that. And to our community, as you see, we keep bringing you very inspiring people to help you out on your journey to make it a little bit easier. Uh, we know that it's, it's a difficult path to go through, but as we saw today, the purpose uh, also helps a lot to, to go through those ups and downs of the entrepreneurial journey. See you soon and keep scaling.